to Blacklight Mass Incarceration Show. I am your host, Sierra Cobb. Blacklight Mass Incarceration Show is a space that is used to uplift the unheard voices of the criminal and social justice issues that many face today. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoy. on the Black Light Mass Incarceration Show. I have with me here today. Can you say your name for me? Uh, my name is Justin Hood. All right, we have Justin Hood with us today, and he is going to tell the audience about his story and how he became incarcerated. So go ahead, Justin. All right. Uh, first thing, I praise be to God for our world colliding to be able to make this happen. First and foremost, and, uh, thank you all again. You're welcome. I uh, went from me hanging out with a guy, drinking, and, you know, selling a little weed for him, and to me waking up, going to my probation appointment, getting sent off for the rest of my days with my baby mama hanging out with her, and then going home, coming out to shower, and police at the door at the house I was at locking up for murder. Right, it's something I didn't know about, and it's in a firearm that I didn't even know about or even see for my trial. Right, so I was hanging with a guy that I just met two days prior, and we were riding around during the weed. I was selling this weed for him, but only a couple of little hand-to-hand. It was like 4 o'clock afternoon. Daylight turns to dark. So now at this time, the car is kind of swerving. So I'm like, we got somewhere we can kind of post up. Basically, long story short, he's like, yeah, 10 minutes, we can be at my baby mom's house. We pull up to a, a different apartment, and we go in. I finish out the rest of the bottle of liquor. I had bought a bit of tequila. Mm-hmm. And long story short, I end up, we leave one time to go to the store around like, I want to say 12 o'clock. It was real quick. We come right back. I passed out on the lusty. Right then and there, after test my baby mama went her test back, never tested back. I fall asleep right then and there. Mm-hmm. The next morning, 12:30, 12:40, and I wake up the next morning. It's 6:30 in the morning, so six hours later, so my alarm clock on my phone going off. Uh, at 6:30, so wake me up because I was I was in this guy's house. I brought my overnight pay with my work clothes in it for them to take my PO and then to work and then drop me off. That was the plan. After I said it's week, going to make a little bit of money, and that was it. So I didn't have work for a day. I was on roof. Right. Anyway, uh, 6:30, I wake up. Uh, I remember having a pee really bad, so I go upstairs to the, to the apartment. Get the bathroom, come out, try to knock on their bedroom door, and it was kind of open, so it pushes open. Like the girl was the one awake. The guy that made me his co-defendant was asleep beside of her. Mm-hmm. All right. He was in between her and the bed, like between her and the wall on the, in the mattress. He's the one that woke up, and I was like, hey, yo, y'all can just take him off the yo. He's like, yeah, of course. Even then, we'll be down in a minute. He never woke up. I go downstairs. She comes downstairs. Uh, I put the baby in the car for her. When she comes down, she came up down by herself. Uh, after the baby's in the car, I get in the car. I turn the heat on or whatever. I get up for her. She comes out in the car, and then that's when the other guy had come down. He got in the car with her. So he ended up coming with us, of course. And I was like, yeah, we wasn't awake before then. But, so we go to my PO and they dropped off. I, I was never told nothing. About, I, while I was with him, this is the first time I ever seen with him. I met him two days before. I've never heard anything about a gun. I've never seen a gun or nothing like that. So we go to my PO. They drop me off. I come out like 10 minutes later. I remember being kind of ill because they didn't piss test me. And I wanted to be pissed at So anyway, I come out. They're gone. Mm-hmm. The car's gone. My book bag's in the car. And I come out. They're gone. I call them. They get no answer. I call back the second time. And while it's ringing, I get a tip. Come in my phone. They're going to get beer. So anyway, they pull back up. A couple minutes later, they take me like four minutes drive down the road. And they drop me off my boss man's house. Dude, I work for doing roofing for We always get dropped out there and load up all the tools on the back of the truck. And we go to work from there. And put the GPS address, whatever the job site is going to be in my phone. My, on my navigation because the phone I had just got. And uh, so that's what I do. I get, I get dropped off there at the house and they bought me at the house and then they take off. I don't see the guy that made me a co-defendant 
no more. All right, and then I go through that day. We ended up not doing no work that day, so I ended up getting picked up because he didn't come to the door. And I get back to the house in Bethlehem City where I was at, where I was getting my clothes at, and my girl came on to take the bed to keep my clothes at, and uh, maybe sleep there once in a while, but mostly just keep my clothes there and take a shower. And when I get out of work, I'm open. Mm-hmm. And then I just come out and say, Mom, I take off and stay with her because most of the time that's where I was going. So I basically go through with her that day, come back at night. By the time I got out of the shower, I'm in there chilling with my brother. He's talking to a girl on like a FaceTime video. It might be a Facebook video, like like Snapchat or whatever. I mean, uh, it's like the Facebook, I think. He's talking to her on the phone. And I'm, I remember just like sitting down on the bed and was like, oh, she got a friend, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I started talking to that girl on this little, on the video thing. And another girl that was with her, just like making them laugh because my brother was talking to him and I was trying to make them laugh too. And uh, I had a girlfriend, so I wasn't really like trying to cheat on her. Like, you know, her car door. He pops up. My brother pops up. As I'm holding the phone and talking to the, on the video thing, and he looks out the window, and he's like, oh, shit, there's a fucking thousand police. Or he's like, 30 police. I mean, immediately, I'm like, oh, shit, what y'all do? Like, I don't know what the hell's going on. So I'm like, what they, what they do? You know, like, because I haven't done nothing wrong. I'm like, what they do? Right. But anyway, uh, they come in the house. They anyway, they didn't really looking for me. They wouldn't tell nobody what they was locking me up for. They wouldn't tell me. Uh, we leave from, they put me in the Gaston, I think it was Bethlehem City Cop Car at the time, or Gaston County or something. Anyway, we moved from there, didn't tell nobody what I was getting out there for, wouldn't tell me in the cop car. And once we got to the, we got to the, we started going up 85 and got to the Mecklenburg County line, which is Charlotte. We stopped at a rest stop and they put me in the Charlotte Mecklenburg County cop car. I'm still trying to figure out what's going on, and by the time I get this car, and he turns the, turns the heat on, we start going out the road, he informs me what I was getting locked up. So when I get to the interrogation room, you know, I didn't have a search. They gave me a blanket. And when they came in and told me basically I didn't read my rights and uh asked me if I read my rights, I give my name, I'm telling them my birthday, phone number, address, whatever. They're like, uh want to hear they said they want to hear my side of the story. I'm like, My side of the story, what the fuck? And they're pretty much like, uh, what things we want to get into, you sound like you want to speak to us, we need to go through the rights first and start reading the rights off. And they're like, is this something you want to speak about? I'm like, man, I'm pretty much like, how's my land coming in all this? Why am I under arrest for murder? And it's like, am I already charged with all this? They said, yes. I said, dude, I need a lawyer right now. And I, I kept saying, I need a lawyer right then and there, right then and there. They kept telling me the process was going to be the same. And I was like, I want a, I want a lawyer before questioning. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm questioning about anything. Because that's all I've ever really ever known. And that's your right. From like TV. Yeah, from my TV, so that's what's supposed to be off this minute right now that I know, that I kind of know that at the time I didn't know, like, the Constitution and all that stuff. I still don't, but I mean, it's barely, barely, you know. A lot of people don't know. I know it, but, yeah. Well, uh, so I asked for a lawyer, and I'm pretty much defending the lawyer. Like, I'm right in, so we can get that shit done, figure out what was going on. And basically, uh, they just, they pretty much shuffle their papers, straighten them up on the table, and they get up and they walk out. So, a couple of weeks later, after I go, to uh, the first parents or whatever, my lawyer, they asked for a lawyer. Uh, they trying to, they get to finally, finally come see me. And he, I'm trying to get him to like, let's talk to you, to check you, see what's going on. He's like, it's not wise to keep me there right now. Every, every advice he gave me, I followed. I was pretty much in submission to everything. He ended up being my trial lawyer, told me to advise me to do. I was in complete submission of and told him. And I went with him and said yes to everything he said because I'm in the blind and he's a lawyer and that's all I knew. And he's my voice representation, legal experience, professional person that, you know, can do all this that I can't, you know, mm-hmm. supposed to be my voice. So anyway, we don't speak to detectives. Long story short, two and a half years go by, I'm in the county. But before all that, that's just when I learned that I, when I finally get some phone time, I call home to my baby mama and she tells me there's another guy been arrested. Uh, I, I can't remember if she said before me or not, but I, I found out that he was arrested with me and we were charged, basically we were charged together. And I didn't know the guy's name. The only thing I knew him by was his nickname, it was like DJ or stuff. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know him at all. But he told me she described his mugshot, and I was like, that's got to be the dude I was with the night prior to getting arrested. All right, afternoon and night prior to getting arrested. From being with him, driving around drinking, and passing out at his girlfriend's house. The apartment I passed out at too, by the way, was his girlfriend's house. 
Trap House reading with Houdini saying that. I don't, I'm not sure if he thought I was messing with his girl while he was gone or something, but what I've come to learn after the lawyer come to visit me, he told me like the basic report they put on the class. This guy was saying that uh, I'm the one that did it and that I'm responsible for it. But I come to find out that this happened in Charlotte and this, I was in Mount Holly the whole time in Gaston County. This shit happened in this stuff happened in Charlotte. But apparently while I was asleep, he went out sometime. The 911 call come in at like 2.43 in the morning. Mm-hmm. All right. I was I passed out around 12.30, 12.40, two hours before that. So sometime between when I went to sleep, he went out and supposedly did this from what the saying and what the evidence is saying. But that's something I can not personally confirm. I don't know. But... He told them, but he came back and all that, I guess, that sometime during that night, I woke up in the next morning, he was in the bed beside of us. So I don't, I didn't ever know he even left. He never told me about it. I never even seen a gun or heard about a gun. He didn't even one. So when I woke up and went upstairs to go to my PO, to get to wake him up to take my PO, he was asleep in the bed beside the girl. So there was, there was no way I could have even known he left. And with him not telling me, well, I ain't know. But at the same time, not knowing they had a gun. Right. But... Anyway, when the, when the lawyer get, put the report, when he came to visit me and put it on the glass, the story was pretty much like the basic, I guess maybe a narrative or something from the report from when they got the 911 call uh, up up until that point to where they finished the letter or whatever. It wasn't like the complete uh, detective, homicide detective narrative or nothing, or the lead detective or none of that. It was just like the, I guess like a basis of the story, like a, a brief of the story of what's going on, excitement or whatever, I don't know. But uh, just letting me sit in there that uh, Mr. Moore had told them that I did it, that we, that me and him was together, and I'm trying to remember how he said it. He said that me and him was together, that he hopped out, that we pulled up on the guy or seen the guy, and it's supposed to be some beef that he's having with this guy, or it's supposed to be his uncle or something. I'm not sure exactly. And I found out after trial that it happened right in front of his grandparents' house in Charlotte, too. The guy that made me a co defendant, the one that allegedly did this. Uh, the one that blamed it on me at the same time. He told them that he hopped out of the car and tackled this guy, and then I hopped out with his gun and then started shooting. Now, need I remind you, I've never seen his gun until my trial. or even heard about it, but I, I mean, until I got arrested or whatever, but in charge with it, but I never seen it until my trial. This was a shotgun. This gun was so long, it was like four foot long, huh? So I'm trying to figure out what physical evidence did they have because you. I mean, anybody can say somebody was with somebody, but what physical evidence did they supposedly had to link you to the crime? Did they have fingerprints? Did they have? Did they do a a GSR, which is a gunshot residue, on you? Or I'm, I just don't understand. I'm confused of how you, you know, how yeah, they can uh, arrest somebody yeah. by hearsay. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to figure out nowadays too. Trying to learn law to figure all this out. No, I when the lawyer came to visit me and showed me the paper on the glass, and I asked him about, showed me the paper about basically, basically like the brief of what's going on, and asked me, uh, I asked him about the talking to the detective now, like this, he's a lawyer, and I know who my lawyer is, like let's go talk to the detective, figure out what the hell's going on. It's been like two weeks, three weeks at this time. I'm in the county locked up for this, and he's like, it's not wise to speak to him right now. I started asking about the gunshot residue myself. He said something like. Uh, after a certain amount of time, it, it washes off with simply with simple soap and water. And when I was arrested, it was like twenty. The, the nine one one call came at two forty three, so I got arrested like eleven. But it was like twenty one, twenty two hours after the nine one one call. And he told me there was no point. I because I asked him why the hell they didn't do the gunshot residue, none of that. Like what you know that can help prove all this. You know, he said something about it washes off with simple soap and water. I mean, it does wash off, but I've known people who have been arrested like a week or two later, like my husband, and they still done a GSR after he was arrested, which was like a whole week later. Yeah, that's just, that's just crazy, man. Like, I, I couldn't understand it. Like, now all this stuff is, you know, I'm not trying to throw shade on my lawyer because he's still a lawyer and he's professional, and I don't want, like, I'm really, re- like, afraid of some type of legal retaliation for me, like, saying, like, he did a business job. No, you, it, there's no, there's no. Back at, it, at the time, at the, at the time, it was just all suspicious to me. And 
you know, it raised a lot of red flags for me. But now looking back at all this and all the advice he gave me, everything he advised, to me it seemed like it was, I mean, I ain't going to say to me, hell, I'm going life without parole. It, it, it was a lot of ways ill-advised information he was putting my way in his life just, and like in, in, a way, in a way, like he set me up for an okie doke or somewhere. I don't. Yeah, man, I asked about the gunshot residue, and he said that it was. You know, it comes off a simple soap and water, so that wasn't. You know, that wasn't possible. Especially now, I'm kind of asking why they didn't do it. He's like, he basically didn't know why they didn't do it, but he said he walked off a simple soap and water, and uh, we didn't need to speak to the detectives because it's not wise right now until we start. Uh, until we see the motion. Was motion he? Was he a paid yeah. attorney yeah, or a public defender? He was appointed by the court. Oh, uh, he wasn't a public defender because he was in Charlotte. And what he told me was that my co-defendant has been represented by the public defender's office in Mecklenburg County before. So they couldn't give him or me a public defender because it was conflict of interest. So they, they was appointed by the court. But I don't, I, he was, I don't, I'm not sure if he was, I'm, not, I'm pretty sure he wasn't a public defender though. He's probably like a contracted, lawyer or yeah, a contracted called. attorney. Yeah, but but he was definitely uh, appointed and not retained. But, so let me let me back up for a second too before that. Like after I get dropped off at the probation office, they come back and after I send a text, uh, I send a call and he don't answer. I send a, I, I call him again and the text comes in saying while well, I was ringing saying one of your beers. They pull back up. I get in the back seat. My book bag's still in there. My work clothes in there. I had a little, I ain't gonna lie, look. I had a little Xanax bar in there. I've been waiting to take for like three days. That's kind of the reason why I was wanting them to piss test me. Was I, that's why I've been holding for three days. We're waiting for them to piss test on PO. And he didn't piss test me. So I get out and I pop that immediately as soon as I get in the car. But they dropped me off my boss man's house. After they dropped me off, when I, this is the last time I've seen him. He goes back to, like, we're in his girlfriend's car this time. Car I was with when I was with him the morning the day before riding around drinking this alcohol drinking this liquor that I bought and before we uh, into the night until about nine o'clock ten o'clock before we parked at his girlfriend's house and then left him around twelve went to the store real quick while he was right up the street and got back in like three minutes that was an Impala his car she had was like an Oldsmobile some I don't know it's like an older car a little box looking car but after they dropped me off in my boss man's house. And her, his girlfriend's car with him, his girlfriend, his girlfriend driving him in the passenger seat, his baby in the back seat, behind the driver, the girl, and me behind him. I get dropped off. They leave. He somehow had some type of altercation with somebody that they, uh, from what the motion is saying, is a uncle to him too at a red light. And apparently he got out the car. Or they, he went back to. Went on the way back to Mount Holly from Gaston when they took me to my PO and then right down the street to my boss man's house. He had gotten a, he got into some kind of dispute and went and picked up a gun. Where he picked it up from, I'm not sure, but in her apartment, in her room, in her closet with a key on her lock, on her car, with the key to the lock on her keychain. So anyway, they go, he's on video at Walmart in Belmont, which is in Gaston County, which is right the closest one to their house, and we're closest one to Mount Holly. The apartment they was at that I was at too that night, and was it's, it's on video purchasing shotgun sales. All right, a couple minutes later to hours, some short time later, I'm not sure exactly how long. He pulled up at a red light, and he supposedly he supposedly gets out the car from what the police reports are saying, and they're saying that he pointed a gun at somebody at a red light, and like he's out standing up, points the gun at somebody in the car at a red light, and the car takes off. Something happened to where either someone called the police, or the person in the car called the police, or a witness, a bystander called the police, something. Anyway, the police get behind him, they're having a high speed chase. At this point, he's back in the Impala now somehow. So, in part, the Impala, I'm sure, when we pulled out that parking lot, I think it was still in that parking lot. I'm not really sure. I don't want to speak on that because I'd be speculating and be like, theoretically, I'm just thinking maybe it was. But I, I didn't really pay attention though either because it, you know, it wasn't really, like really important. I was just we backing out and pulling out of the parking lot. But somehow he got the, got a gun and he pointed the gun at somebody supposedly, and they called the police on. Anyway, the police behind him after this pointing the gun at the uh, red light incident, he has a high speed chase, wrecks the car, he out runs like he, he like he's on camera because he wrecks it at, at an intersection in Charlotte by a store, so he's on camera, he's not running from the car. Hides in some bushes by a nursing home or something, supposedly. But inside the car, they find his firearm, a big shotgun. 
they end up later deeming it, uh, determining it to be a murder weapon, the murder weapon. Alright. His DNA was on the trigger of that gun. It was a cell phone somewhere on the ground on the outside side of the driver's side of the car, which is his cell phone. Alright. And then, so all this happened after they dropped me off my PO and then did me up to the Boston house. It's happened between that time. So around like 10, 11 o'clock, I can't really remember, somewhere around that time, he's, uh, in custody, either in Gaston County, Charlotte, somewhere like that. But homicide detectives respond because earlier that, like, around that time, the 911 call coming, two girls were the ones that called 911 to report that car. Mm-hmm. Like they had a tag number to an Impala, and it was like, I think his Impala was gold, but they said it, they said it was silver. I'm not, I think they said it was silver. I'm pretty sure it, 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 it was like, it was like a champagne gold color from what I remember. But anyway, they were supposed to be like eyewitnesses from what I heard or some, from some other incident that happened. Okay. They called 911, so they had the, the tag number. And so the homicide detectives knew to respond, and, they, and it was some kind of incident, we pulled the Someone pulled the gun out from that car and on the two girls and like attempted to rob them or something. So they're the ones that initially called the police reporters, uh, 911 called. And while they was on the phone with 911, they said that they heard gunshots. And so the police responded out. But at the same time, an Uber driver had pulled somewhere around there. He's the one that discovered the victim in the street and he was laying face down from what he said. Okay, so that happened. So how did you I mean, get? Did you I have a trial? Yeah, I went to trial. Oh yeah, I went to trial. So what? Ev- I'm, what evidence did they have against you? None, just the hearsay of the co-defendant. Well, well, see, yeah, he just he said that when he got in the interrogation room, he told them several stories. In my county, it was four. So when they start, when, when he starts realizing it was when they introduced themselves as homicide detectives and asked him where he was at the night before, he immediately told them that I had his car all night. And I told when I first met him two days before this, I told him my real name, but I told him they called him Jay Hood. So he was like, Jay Hood had my car all night. And then went to two other stories. Uh, one of them involved him selling a gun to a guy in uh, some neighborhood called Coldwood or Coldwood, selling a gun to a white, he said to a white boy in Coldwood, and, and killing and smoking some weed or something, and staying somewhere else. The third story was like him back at his baby mama's house, and he was there all night. In the fourth story, when they asked for the truth, and after giving him coffee and cigarettes, he uh, he, that's when he tells the story of saying that we uh, that me and him was in the car together. He stops when he sees the victim. He jumps out, tackles the guy, and I get out and shoot the guy. All right. So with that right there, they came back in with a with a single photograph because he told me he took it to my PO that morning too. He added in some stuff to make it sound good or whatever. I guess. And, they, they brought they come back a single photograph and showed him pictures of me. He's like, yeah, that's him, but he has longer hair than that. So I'm guessing around that time is when they got a, a arrest warrant for me or something. I don't, I'm not sure, but that was basically the, all the evidence that the only person that ever said I, that's the only person that could ever say something like that. Like I wasn't there, I didn't do it, but he said I was there and I did it. They used that to get an arrest warrant for me. Did and he? Once they got an arrest warrant for me, they found me no problem, but. Uh, come to find out, like some evidence they collected at the, at the crime scene, there was a glove. Okay, I had some work gloves with me when we was riding around. When I come with him and he picked me up, I had some work gloves with me in that in, in my uh in my book bag, which is in his bar. My work clothes. Uh, I had like a couple pairs of work gloves, and anyway, they, they were no used work gloves. They wasn't brand new. I've always worn my new roofing. You wear them. I only wear them when I tear the, the singles off with something called a shindig. He's like, what, what we use to tear the singles off? You lose it real bad. Most of the time, you got most people got wear gloves, and I definitely did too. But I had them for them, and that's what I it was already used. All right, I remember when we was riding around. This was December now. This was like December the 14th. We was riding around, we drinking this liquor, and like I'm, reach, I remember reaching in the floorboard to my to my book bag, and like I'm trying to find my pack of cigarettes, and I'm pulling stuff out of the book bag. And of course, the gloves come out. He's like, he, I mean, he was driving, and he's like, "Hey man, uh, you want some gloves?" And I'm just like, "Yeah," and like not thinking about it, like no sinister shit was behind it. He's like, "Man, how many pairs you got?" Like I got a couple. He's like, "Let me get a pair of my hands cold." Boom! I get him a pair of gloves, and my DNA was in them from wearing them. And allegedly, they saying one one of them was collected at the crime scene, 
a single glove. It didn't say whether left or right. It just said a mate was found also under the, the couch of the apartment as well. Now, there was two couches in that apartment, downstairs apartment. It was a long couch, and there was something that I mean, like me and my country, he'll do a family call a love two seat couch. I slept on the love seat. But they found one under the under the couch somehow. I never even sat on that couch. Like I, I'm not sure how. But his DNA was nothing. None of them. Except one. It was his DNA was in one glove, and it was four gloves found all together. They found two pairs. All right. Okay. But both pairs of them gloves were my work. These work gloves. Okay. Somehow one was found at the crime scene. One or somewhere around the crime scene. This crime scene supposed to be some neighborhood where my co-defendant, a good man's co-defendant, grandparents live some open street or some neighborhood or whatever in a neighborhood and this is uh they didn't really even they, they used that in my trial to say that I dropped they tried to say that I dropped them there but there's there's no I, I wasn't there but it's he they had a picture of the car door open and like the other I gave him another pair that morning when they dropped me off because he had asked me for a pair and like he, I remember I didn't I I want to say I remember him saying something like he lost a pair or something, but I'm not sure. But I, I didn't think nothing of it, no sense to shit about it. I gave him another pair of gloves because I had a third pair in my bag to take work with me. Like I had like couple, like another couple, couple pairs, or like no, I had three, I had four pairs all together, but I, I had wore all of them. Like I've used them all. I just cycle them around. They just in my bag. I take them with me to work. They're all single. But so anyway, uh, that trial. Maybe the other there's another. Uh, piece of evidence that was collected but not DNA tested. The only DNA tested inside of the glove. They said it was found somewhere at the crime scene. I don't know how far it was from the victim or not, but there was some type of makeup brush found in between from where the glove was at to between between the glove and the victim. And it wasn't even ident- uh, DNA tested. There was the only other item collected from the crime scene, but it wasn't DNA tested. Well, they did DNA test the glove because I'm guessing because it's the glove and I guess they thought it was tied to the murder or something. Right. But anyway, that's what I thought they were trying to like say I was guilty of murder for. But at my trial, they they introduced me to this trial and like, but they found one under the under the couch, couch too, in the living room where I slept. But I slept under the love seat. Never even sat on that couch. He sat on that couch. Like that's where he was sitting that night when he was downstairs and his girlfriend was upstairs. But I, I didn't ever see him tucking under the couch or nothing like that. I didn't see nothing like that. But they, but well, anyway, the other pair was found inside the Impala in the door, the driver's side door pocket of the car, and like it was another pair, and one of them had his DNA in it, and but the other, but it was the other one had my DNA in it. So the one of the crime scene had my DNA inside of it. The one under the couch had to be, be my DNA in it from in the inside of it from under the couch, and the third one had my DNA under it inside the door pocket, and the fourth one had his DNA on it. So he obviously only put one on, but that's just what's suspicious to me, man. Like, when he asked for that second pair of gloves that next morning, when I went, when they dropped me off my boss and was at my PO, I didn't think nothing of it because he didn't tell me nothing like this. I gave him another pair of gloves, no question for that, because I had another, pair, another two pairs, but I was just, I just still question, still want, I'm still wondering why his DNA was only in one glove, but what I'm saying is, it's like, I can, I can be theoretical too and guess what happened too, but I'm, I'm speculating myself. But the way that the DA stated in the trial was that I took that glove off that night at the crime scene and dropped it there without noticing it. And said that I was, whether saying I was with him, that I wanted to kill the victim and I dropped the glove there. And that was, I guess, I, I don't know if they was using that as, trying to use that as proof of me being there, but I wasn't there. I mean, I can't account for what he did with the gloves, but I know I gave the gloves to the guy. You know what I mean? As far as I, that, I don't see how that me giving gloves to somebody makes it look like I was there. I've worn them before. Hell yeah, I've used. It was my used work gloves. I worked for a living. I was doing roofing. You had to wear gloves. Most people had to wear. I wore gloves when I tore singles off. Did he? Did he testify at trial for, or on the behalf of the state? No, oh, ma'am. He did not. They had him on the state's witness list. Kept wondering why he didn't. Yeah, I kept wondering why he didn't come to my trial either. Like with the confrontation thing, like 
he's the only one saying I did it, even though he's lying, but he's the only one saying I did it. And he didn't even come to my trial to testify to let us cross his and confront him like anything, which is my only accuser. And I'm just trying to figure out why my only accuser I wasn't able to confront in my trial, like and cross examine and direct examine him or whatever. And I, I just don't understand. Well, that. by the law, girls, you're supposed to. The lawyer's yeah. supposed to on your behalf yeah. by law. Yeah, yeah. The two girls, uh, they was in, they ended up being prostitutes. They said, but they was girlfriends as well. They testified in my trial too. And the line of questioning they went through, like the, the count of the events, they didn't see the murder. They heard the gunshot though, and they said. One of them, basically, last thing she entered line of what happened, they, uh, the one girl was questioned, the last question she was asked was like, was the guy in the courtroom today that was out there that night? Looked at him for a couple of seconds and looked back at him and was like, nah. You know, basically, that's not him. And they said no further questions. And my lawyer didn't ask him no questions. He got to stay around. That was the state's witness. A couple of people later, a couple of witnesses later, was like uh, medical examiners, like CSI people, whatever. Uh, they called the second girl. The second girl gets up there. They were both those lineups, too, by the way. And they, uh, they, I think they identified my co-defendant in his car, or they knew my co-defendant in his, but they identified the car. And when she got up there, the other girl got up there and basically went through her the same kind of story, a little different, I think. But she said, they had a lot, last question they was asking her was how sure of the guy, they didn't introduce this lineup to me. They trying to say I had it in my motion to discover. I've never seen it until recently. I really hope we got no time for all this. I know it's a lot, but... He was, uh, they asked her, like, how sure the guy that she picked out of a lineup in 2016 is the guy that did this? And she said about 90%. And they said no further questions. My lawyer, and my lawyer, the cross-examiner, he said no questions because he knows she didn't identify me either. Both girls were still the lineup, and the one girl I possibly identified a white male that she said was in that car. And before, before the song, and, and the guy she picked out of a lineup, said 90% sure. They were showing this after I was arrested. Okay. But before that, they had built some girls that gave descriptions of the guy and said that he was a pale skin, a 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, pale skin, blonde hair, blonde facial hair, white male. The guy they picked that, when I finally got this lineup two weeks, uh, a couple weeks, a couple months ago, the guy in the lineup, it didn't say the height, but it was a pale skin, white male with blonde hair and blonde facial hair. I'm 6'2", six, 6'3", six, by the way. And got, I always had brown hair and brown facial hair since, you know, not facial hair, but brown hair since I was like four or five when my hair started changing color from blonde to brown. But when they when they said that at trial like that, what they did was gave the jury the impression, it kind of misled the jury that she picked me out of a lineup, the way they line of question was, and then without her the VA clarifying it, without my lawyer, my trial lawyer clarifying it, that I wasn't the guy she picked out of that lineup. So, I mean, I don't know if that's what went wrong at trial or what, but she never identified me, never would be able to. I wasn't there, but the person they identified, I'm not even sure if there was any investigation done into that. But it, it just don't make no sense to me, man. And, like, that was that was the testimony they were trying to use from, from their incident, from when they said it was a white male with that. At that day, incident with them, trying to say there was a white male also with uh, the incident 90 minutes later when the murder happened, when they... Called 911 and her gunshot reported in, uh, in her gunshot. They're trying to tell you a white male was at the murder scene from their story from happening 90 minutes earlier somewhere in the same area. And I think it's on the same intersection or street or it's somewhere in the same area. But I think it's two dots on the same area on the Google map thing in my motion to serve with some black and white. Though. But they try, they try to use that to like tie it together as the same like similar acts or something, I guess, is what they use their testimony in for. My lawyer objected to them, their, their like, testimony being in, because, like, I, I don't know, I guess he felt they were separate or whatever or not the same or I don't, I don't know. All I know is I was in the blind and I'm listening to everything my lawyer saying, and I know I didn't do neither one of them, and my lawyer sitting there talking to me. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just hoping everything goes good and that, Watch God work, and the truth is going to prevail. The truth is going to come out, and I'm going to go home type shit. But that's just... Not here. But, uh, <laughs> the truth is always yeah. hidden in the courtroom. Yeah. Have you appealed anything, or...? Yeah, my, my first appeal, it was a direct appeal. The lawyer that gave me, uh, while I was a CP, I wrote her numerous times. She wrote me back, but it keep it real brief. 
real short, and it was just, she was, the issue she raised, like, I, I kept writing her letters, like, letting her know, like, my innocence and kind of like my story, but my story never got to get told at trial or nothing, like, and she was, she brought up an issue to on flight or something, a jury instruction on flight, and it, the, the appeals court agreed that it was an error, but they said it was harmless error because it was substantial evidence against me, and then I was identified as a perpetrator of the crime, which I wasn't. I was never identified by anybody except my co-defendant saying that I did it. Even though he was lying, he said that I did it in the interrogation room with the testify of my trial saying that shit. And he was there to get a warrant against me. And once they started looking for me, they found me. And me asking for a lawyer kind of, I guess, made me look kind of guilty. And, me, and at trial, when it comes time to present evidence, after the state presented their evidence, my lawyer was like, he called, you know, basically like, look, man, they didn't, they didn't present anything to prove you guilty. They, they have a burden to prove to prove you guilty. They didn't prove me guilty. They didn't prove you guilty. You know, we, there's no need to have to present this evidence. We got order to testify. But if we do, we lose the last face field and close an argument. I guess like the last argument. He told me that the state would go, if we don't, he said if we presented evidence to testify, uh, we would be last, or the state would be last in the closing argument, I guess on a rebuttal or something, something trying to study. They had the last words that the jury would be being powerful to my freedom powerful tool of my freedom and being like to be at home. And I'm like, and, you know, I'm, I'm a protest in the first, like, no, we got these three things right here we need to present. They need to see this shit. You know, it's just, I, I, I had to agree with the man. Like, you know, me protesting, he's advising me what to do. He's my, he's a professional here. I'm like, man, you know, whatever. He's like, they have a burden of proof. They didn't prove you guilty. We don't have to present anything. They didn't prove you guilty. Let's take this to the jury. They filed for a motion to dismiss. Uh, the judge denied it. And, Went to the jury, closing arguments. The DA lied all the way through it, and then when it came to my my like he didn't he didn't uh, object not none, and then when it came to us, my lawyer starts doing his closing argument, and it's like he objected three different times, and he kind of like had a, a grin, he had a grin to him, a smile to him, like his demeanor seemed like he was trying to be deceitful, trying to deceive the jury in a way by smiling like that. And it was just, I don't know. I mean, I ain't trying to associate him like he did a very bad I got a life sentence, so obviously I think it's bad. I don't know from a legal perspective like how it was. But, I mean, I, I, I needed somebody to tell my story and it didn't get told by me. And it just, it, it didn't even really get told at all. It just got, it just got said that oh, he was somewhere else. But I'm saying exactly where I was at the apartment in Mount Holly and not in Charlotte when this shit happened. You know, it, it didn't get told like that. He was somewhere else. Basically, long story short, like he was in a nutshell, like he was somewhere else. That was it. He had an alibi. Well, the thing about an attorney is they're supposed to be an advocate. They're an advocate on your behalf to plead your case, and he is right. The state has to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. But it's scary when your lawyer is not objecting because they're supposed to object at least, um, especially when they see that prosecutors are going the wrong direction. They're supposed to object to stop the flow of the prosecution. but. See, when, when, it, when the state objected him three times during his closing argument, it made it seem like he was lying and being deceitful and stuff, too, along with his smiles and stuff. But in a trial transcript, of course, you can't see the, the smile or his demeanor. You just see, you hear the, you read the objections and all that. That's it. But anyway, long, it goes to the jury. They come back like a couple hours later, like three hours later, and found me guilty. I'm shocked. I try to explain myself in court right then. After they sentenced me, like, I'm like, I finally just speak up without my lawyer's wife. I'm like, and they said, after they said life, I'm like, hey, can I say something? Like, without even, like, nothing my lawyer anymore, I'm like, straight to the judge with it. And after the, the, the mom gave the victim's impact statement, I, I tried to tell the victim's mother, like, I didn't do this. Uh, I wasn't with him when he did this. Uh, I didn't, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know how this was happening. Y'all committed an innocent man. Like, I, I don't know what's going on. But it was just like the judge, the judge is pretty much like the, the court respects the findings of the jury and God leads. And that was it. And here I am seven years later. Now my, now the dude made me a show defendant wrote a letter to the lawyer who just got him review my case trying to finally tell the truth that I wasn't with him. So now I'm in North Carolina, uh, 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 the Center on Actual Innocence in Durham is reviewing my case in, in that letter to hope that I guess they got to send somebody out to the prison to that to get an affidavit from him. Right. I don't know where I was at. Uh, but when the girls were told the line up, they take somebody out of it. They, the girl identified somebody out of it. And as far as I know, they, as far as, I, as far to my knowledge, there was no investigation into it. All right, but I need to tell you also, the white male they picked out, 
I'm not sure if we knew uh, my co-defendant, this co-defendant or not, but right after the interrogation with the police, with the homicide detectives, he, uh, the guy, the name is co-defendant, that did this, uh, allegedly, uh, all the evidence points to, is on the phone with his grandparents after getting booked into the county jail. And I guess it's like, it's like a free phone, and they're waiting to like dress you out, you get to see him in a free phone call. He calls his grandparents three different times, which is one of the pieces of evidence uh, that didn't get submitted at my trial at the advice of my lawyer. He was three transcripts that we had he had printed out. I ended up getting after my trial. I didn't see him. I, I heard about him. I just and it kind of like uh, defined a little bit, but I didn't see like transcript myself until after my trial when it was sent to me. At this time, it's around the time they arrested me. He made three phone calls from like 11:30 that night to 52 or some crazy stuff like that. It was like it was like half phone calls. Two of them was his grandfather. And they're asking about the crime, and uh, he starts talking about, they say something, his grandfather was like something about uh, uh, a white boy. The state just said there was a white guy with you talking to my co-defendant. And he's like, yeah, or he don't say yeah. He was like, they kept asking who the white boy was. Who's the white boy? Who's the white boy? He kept, he said something about a white boy. The white boy was up here from New Orleans, and the grandpa was like, well, he's probably going back to New Orleans by now. And my co-defendant was like, yeah, probably so. And that was that. But you know, that was like the first or second phone call. The third phone call was his grandmother. They're both upset with him for being locked up for murder and all this stuff. And they're asking about what happened. And they're talking about how it happened right out above their house, like in the street, like in front of their house, I'm assuming, uh, or up the street. And what they said in, in the phone, in the printed phone calls was up the street. Well, somewhere right there in that area is his grandparents' house. It happened at their house. Police knocked on their door that night. They didn't answer their door. But he's talking about a white guy was with him from New Orleans and was probably going back to New Orleans for now. I'm trying to find out whether the guy from New Orleans he's talking about is the same guy these girls picked out of that lineup. Or the one girl picked out of the lineup, the white mother got picked out of the lineup. If there's like, any similarities, if he ain't in the description, anything, if he's 5'5, five, 5'6, five, five, if he's pale skinned, if he has blonde hair, blonde facial hair, like the girls picked out of the lineup and identified the perpetrator as. That was in that car as well. Like I'm, and or in his interrogation, one of the stories he told when he said something, one of the four stories, he, I think it was like the second story, he said that he sold a, a gun to a white boy in a neighborhood called Coldwood and then smoked some weed with somebody and then stayed somewhere else. That's one of the stories. Like I don't know if any of them tied together, if the white guy he was talking about in the interrogation might have been the one the girl picked out and identified as the perpetrator. If the guy he talked about was from New Orleans, was the guy the the female picked out of the lineup as the perpetrator. Like, but here I am locked up for it. Like, when he called, to me, it's more likely for him to tell his grandparents the truth than the, the detective. This is hours after this, he's interrogated. And around this time, they arrested me without, without incident. And he tells his grandparents this on a recorded jail phone call. All right. But they arrest me. Bring me in. I asked for a lawyer. Two and a half years later, I go to trial and pretty much stands me all the way through it. And they presented his gun that, he was, that was found in his car. It ended up being the murder weapon. His DNA was found on the trigger of the gun. Uh, he had the victim's blood on the bottom of his shoes and on the driver's side floor mat of that Impala. They found blood, which ended up also being the victim's positive for the victim's blood. So he obviously from the evidence was the, the, one of the perpetrators. Right. But the females identified a white male from their incident from 90 minutes earlier of being with him and as a perpetrator of that crime and identified the guy. And the state tried to use his trial from that white male identified from their story from 90 minutes before in the same area as being also a white male that was with of the dude made me duty did this at the time of the murder when it was up and it was supposedly no eyewitnesses. But the guy they got, but what they didn't tell the jury was the white male they talking about wasn't me. The one they identified wasn't me. Never will be. And the guy in the lineup, the actual lineup itself, was never shown to me before a couple months ago when I received it in the mail, was never shown to them either at my trial. So when my lawyer come to my lawyer telling me they didn't steal their burden of proof, the state didn't steal their burden of proof that we didn't present evidence or testify 
only thing I could testify to was my behalf, my test, my my whereabouts where I was at, and you know anything my co-defendant did, you made me co-defendant did. I can't account for that. I'm not sure. I can't I can't confirm any of that, but I can tell you what the evidence says. I can tell you what detectives say, and go by that. But anything else would be with me speaking theoretically or speculating, but so but he told me we didn't have to do none of that because they didn't fulfill their burden of proof. Right. And after me, you know, saying like now we need to present these things, he's like, Look man, we basically like we didn't have to. And I I'll end up ended up being my decision, I think, at the end. Of course I had to give my, my consent to say, Yeah, all right but I was in complete submission to any and everything he suggested, said, advised, everything. But the three things we could have presented was the Three printed phone calls, the three transcripts of the phone calls he made to his grandparents, to his grandfather, and uh, the third one to his grandmother, where he admitted he's beating the guy, too, because he kept saying something like, they kept saying she was upset with him. He's like, why y'all acting like that man so innocent? I shot him before he shot me. If that was me on the news, what would y'all be saying? If that was me shot my head, blah, blah, blah. They kept saying something about the guy was shot twice, and he kept confirming that, no, it wasn't that. He was the guy was shot three times. Like, he was telling details on these calls and, like, complete contradiction to what he just told detectives in the in the interrogation room saying that I did it and I don't know what it is. And why they didn't say none of that in my trial, but they pushed everything on me. They they submitted his gun and the state's evidence in my trial and with his DNA on it, it's this big freaking four-foot shotgun, black shotgun. Like, this thing was huge. And... They said they committed in my trial as a murder weapon. Uh, I've never seen, even heard about it, but now I'm seeing it right here, and they use, I'm charged with it, and I ain't been convicted of it as well. But also, the murder that I wasn't even with him with in another county for a sleep, I get charged and convicted of too, with his gun that he was caught with as well. But the three things we could present was the three transcripts of the phone calls to his grandparents. As of, at the time I'm getting arrested, uh, the, the jail recorded phone calls that he made to his grandparents confessing contradicting what he just said in the interrogation room. The cell phone tower triangulation map to prove where I was at in Mount Holly at the apartment and where he was at, which is called dead to right, pretty much in the triangulation area of the crime scene. All right. And the third thing was the photo lineup of the girl identifying a perpetrator of the crime that the state alleged a white male was with at the time, a white male was with my co-defendant at the time of the murder from the 90 minute prior incident. Now, the fourth thing is uh, the dude that made me his co-defendant, here it is seven years later, he writes a letter to a lawyer named Mark Montgomery out of Durham that has just gotten a review on my case through prison legal services. And he writes this letter to him, letting him know that I didn't have nothing to do with the murder, that I was uh, not with him, and that uh, I should be at home and they have a winning case. All right, there's not. I was, they was already going to appoint me a lawyer. He, he recommended, the, Mark Montgomery recommended the IDS and they appoint me a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And they was already going to appoint me a lawyer. So he, when, he sent, when he sent me that letter, he was pretty much was like, I know you asked about the next steps, what's going to happen. I referred you to IDS. They still haven't found a lawyer to represent you yet. When that happens, uh, they'll contact you about what it's going to raise. And then at the bottom, as a PS, it was like the Coolamore wrote back to say that you were not guilty of the murder. He's like, I pass that on to the information. I pass that information on to the lawyer appointed to represent So I write him back. I'm like, yo, in my title, a copy of the letter. He sent me a copy back. But also in that letter I sent him, I was like, can I also get a copy of the, the photo lineup that I was supposedly in, talking to these two girls? And if somebody was identified out of, they sent me that at the same time. So when I get these pictures and the copy of the letter, that's when I finally see the photo lineup that I've been in. Both these girls have been shown. And see what the guy looks like. I don't know. I've never met him, but he was a pale skinned, blonde, blonde haired, blonde face hair guy. You don't see how tall he was. But the description of the girls gave before they picked this, the one pictures out was five, 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 six. I'm six, two, six, three, brown hair. But it was said from my trial lawyer to this lawyer when I told that this lawyer, this lawyer, Mama Grumman, I've never seen this lineup and I needed it. He said that my trial lawyer had told him that I was supplied in the motion of discovery. I've had it since and every document related to the lineup in my discovery, which I've never had. The only thing I knew about was the, the homicide detective's narrative, the lead detective's narrative in my motion discovery, uh, speaking briefly on it, saying that two girls were on the lineup, and one of them didn't identify nobody, one of them people filler. The, the letter he sent me referring me to the IDS people, the Energy Defense Services, 
was bringing up. He only brought up out of the issues that I was trying to raise that I obviously see that I'm not sure like would I don't know how it would work in court, but he brought up like I guess constitutional reasons. That the 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 evidence wasn't presented in my trial of the the three printed printed phone calls of my co defendant confessing to the murder and speaking about a white guy from New Orleans was with him. I've never been to even New Orleans. As far as I've been with Augusta, Georgia, Jacksonville, uh, Jacksonville, uh, Florida. But it was submitted, and also the, the officers, the, the patrol officers that were showing the girls, the two girls in line up after I was me, after my co-defendant was arrested, and then said my name and had me arrested. The two girls were showing the line up after I'm in custody with my photo in them. Both of them, they didn't bring the patrol officers, the two officers that showed the two girls the line up to confirm that I was also in the photo lineup and that neither one identified me with would have further weakened the state's case. Because I don't I'm everything I can't explain none of this. The gloves, I don't know how the hell one I mean, besides him dropping it or placing it there. Dropping it or placing it there. That's the only two ways it could happen. Because I damn still didn't have it on I never even wore gloves that night, that afternoon the night when I was with him. I had on my book bag. Like I didn't need them just for what work. It was cold, but I didn't have them on. It was December, but I wasn't like no, no pansy. My hands were freaking cold, like, you know, I guess like his was. But I only wore them for work. My used work gloves, and the only way I can explain that is if he dropped them or placed them there himself. And possibly out of his door handle from where the picture I was saying of his, of his, of his car, they had pictures as like an evidence of the, two, the gloves like kind of hanging off the, like in the driver's side door handle, like the pocket on the bottom of the door. It was like one of them was like tucked in there, and the other one, they, one that was like kind of hanging out, like hanging over, like they was about to drop. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if maybe, you know, he, he put one on and one of them dropped out, or how it happened. Somehow his DNA was in one glove out of all four that I, with all my personal work gloves that I wore before. And again, I didn't wear them in none that afternoon that I was with him into the night that I was with him. And I fell asleep around 12 30, 12 40 that night. And woke up the next morning at 6.30 to my alarm clock going off to go to my PO and to work. And he never told me that he supposedly left that night or I never even knew he had a gun when I met up with him. When I met up with him, it was all for the purpose of selling weed to make a couple extra dollars because I didn't have work that day, roofing that day because of the weather. Right. But the state presented it as a theory of, a couple theories as, as robbery that I was trying to, I was with him, that I was with the guy, my co-defendant said this, and I was the one that killed him. And then it was the fact that it don't matter whether I pulled the trigger or not, that we were trying to rob him. That uh, it's, just, it's just so many different things, man, that it's like the jury, the jury just didn't catch on, man. Like, I knew personally that they never going to supply anything to prove me guilty because I know where I was actually at in Gaston County, not Charlotte. Right. And it's like my, my lawyer had the same aura about him he kind of knew, too. But that being in my mind, and with everything he advised and saying the state didn't stood a burden of proof, I, I was completely missing everything he advised. Somehow, I just, I don't know, the jury just wasn't paying attention or something. I don't know. But with everything that they're investigating now, the Center on Actual Innocence out of Durham is real myself, too. Like, so they're trying to work on this and try to get out somebody to get an affidavit from my co defendant that's in prison that I guess they can attach to an MAR or something. So. I hope you get it worked out. That sounds, yeah, that don't, none of that sounds right. I, I, I hope you get it worked out, and I appreciate it. So thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Your host, Sierra Cobb. Take care.